through a snake oil salesman, you can probably have a small agency that functions for a long time. And so that in and of itself has created a really bad ecosystem where you have 25,000 plus digital agencies in the United States. And I would honestly say 99% of them are not good at what they do. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi there, listeners of the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I'm running a little competition as we're trying to get more people to discover this podcast and the work that inspires those to sell with love more. And the best way to do this is to leave reviews, both on Spotify and on Apple Podcast. And for those of you who leave a review when listening to this episode, I would ask you to take a screenshot of your review and send it to me at jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. And in doing so, I'm going to give you a set of meditations that you can use to get into the state of selling with love, whether it's connecting with your buyer, affirmations before making calls or any kind of outreach. These will empower you to be feeling powerful and to be able to do it from a place of love. It is a reward for supporting the show, being a loyal listener, and of course, being able to give more to my amazing audience. Thank you for always showing up, listening, and being inspired by the amazing guests that I get to interview and I get to share their message with you. So again, just leave a review. Take a screenshot of the review. This can be done on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts and email it directly to me, jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. Thank you, and now let's get started with our episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Selling With Love podcast. Do I have a treat for you today? I have the one and only Eric Uberman, who's the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, one of the fastest growing marketing consultancies in America right now. He is an author, a marketing expert, and an entrepreneur. His latest book, The Hawk Method, The Three Principles of Marketing That Made Over 3,000 Brands Soar, has just released this year, and we're gonna dig into some of those concepts that allows these brands, these companies to be able to soar, but we're also gonna dig into what's happening in the world for small businesses that might wanna get their marketing handled by perhaps an agency, or they wanna do the marketing themselves, realizing that it is a big and complicated world out there, and Eric actually has went through understanding what are the things that move the levers in the most effective way possible. The man has been recognized on Inc. Magazine's top 25 marketing influencers. He's been on Forbes 30 Under 30. I'm looking at his bio, he's worked with companies like Red Bull, Verizon, Alibaba, and of course, as his title of the book says, has worked with over 3,000 brands. He has a ton to share today, and he's with us. Super excited to have him. Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Eric, you've done a ton of stuff. You have your own podcast. You've sold over 30,000 copies of your book. You've helped over 3,000 brands. These are amazing statistics you might expect from a company that's been operating for decades but you're relatively new in this space and you've done all this amazing stuff. What motivated you to start this and what fueled this early success? Yeah, I've always wanted to like take advantage of everything life has to offer. So I've always been motivated and worked hard and built a couple e-commerce companies at a young age and sold them. And what motivated me to start this was I was started advising and consulting for a lot of friends companies and big brands, small brands. I was working with Red Bull, Verizon, HP, as well as a lot of startups helping them with marketing after I had built and sold two of my own digital companies. 
and I just saw how broken the marketing space was. Like basically 99% of agencies out there have no idea what they're doing. And the few that are any good quickly get sort of too big for their britches and they want to go up market and want long contracts and high minimums and high fees. And they just get really hard to work with. And so the end result is there is an inaccessibility to great marketing. And I wanted to reverse that. So built a little SWAT team, hired to basically fix what was right in front of me and started helping companies. Like I basically hired like seven people, an email marketer, a Facebook marketer, a web designer, a fractional CMO, et cetera. And just went back and said, everything's a la carte month to month. But you know, these are some of the best people at what they do, but we can be really easy to work with. And that's how we started. And apparently that little pain point was a very big pain point. And so we grew really fast and, you know, eight and a half years later, 300 people and continuing to grow and build. And it was all off this sort of annoyance with how the industry functioned. Let's explore that a little more. You speak about this annoyance. Let's talk about what's going on. Like, what are most people getting wrong about marketing that created a space for someone like you to come in and actually do it right? Well, the first part is, you know, there's no barrier to entry in starting an agency. So a lot of people watch one too many Ty Lopez and Gary Vaynerchuk videos. And I love Gary, but not as much Ty, but Gary's awesome. But still, some people watch too many videos and go, oh, I could start an agency. They have no marketing background, no experience, no capability, but they go sell some other people that have no idea what they're doing on the fact that they can run their Facebook ads or something. And this has been an industry that's really taken off the past decade. And so a lot of people sell this snake oil, like, oh, I can do all that for you. Yeah, we do this all the time. And they don't actually know how this affects a business and the nuance of marketing and how to do it right. And so again, with no barrier to entry, anyone can just come off the street, be a good salesperson and start an agency. And they'll probably churn through a bunch of shitty brands, through a bunch of uneducated brands that they'll probably turn shitty because they won't do a good job. And these run out of money or whatever, get to the wiser and fire them. But frankly, if you're a decent enough salesperson, you can probably fill the pipeline enough to keep a million dollar a year agency afloat, make a couple hundred grand a year, and you're doing just fine. So it's not necessarily that these companies will go out of business because you can just keep selling this snake oil. And through a snake oil salesman, you can probably have a small agency that functions for a long time. And so that in and of itself has created a really bad ecosystem where you have 25,000 plus digital agencies in the United States. And I would honestly say 99% of them are not good at what they do. And so when you've started doing this and you realize a lot of people given this wrong advice, what are some of the key things you've realized these brands who might not be aware of how to do effective marketing? What are some of the first principles they should be aware of so that they can do marketing the right way? Yeah. And that's what the book was for too. Our mission is accessibility to great marketing. And so part of my thought was if I can put all this simple, like my favorite review I got in the book was a one-star review that said, I don't get it. It's basically just modern marketing 101. It's like, no, you got it. Exactly. That is what it was supposed to be. That is what it is. And the idea is just like a quick overview of like, these are the things you need to cover in marketing. And I would say over 50% of agencies don't even do that, where it's like, yeah, you have to create awareness for your brand, whether it's Facebook ads or PR or Google ads or whatever it is, word of mouth, et cetera. You have to be getting out, reaching new potential customers. So that's awareness. Then you have nurturing. And we talk about three principles, awareness, nurturing, trust. Nurturing is what do you do from the time you create that awareness to the time they actually buy something? Because there is a thing called a purchase cycle that 80% of marketers seem to miss that it's like your marketing doesn't work instantly. People think about things. People take time. Nine women can't make a baby in a month. So it just takes time. And People forget that there's tactics you should do during that time, that when you're measuring your marketing, you need to remember that time factor. It's incredible to me how many people miss this. And it's most 
because it makes it a little more complicated. You have to think about it a little bit. It's not as easy as an Excel sheet. And so because of that, you end up when times are good, those numbers don't matter because if you're making hand over fist money, who cares if you're tracking it correctly? It's working. Now, when times get tighter, like they have the past year, that's when these things matter. So you can actually measure it properly. And that's why you're seeing many, many agencies go under and screw up and many brands go under because all of a sudden when you know you have to run a good business, you don't know how to measure your purchase cycle or your LTV, lifetime value of a customer, you're screwed. And so these are things that a lot of marketers miss. And then the last piece, trust, a lot of marketers miss that, and this happens mostly in like the supplement community and the DR community. They forget that third-party validation early in a brand is super important. Like I'm not just gonna ingest something you're telling me to ingest because you say it's good and you own it. Like I wanna hear trustworthy sources telling me that this is safe, this is okay, those kind of things. So trust is a huge factor. And so when we're analyzing marketing, how are we generating awareness? How are we nurturing that awareness to get a sale and post-sale to create lifetime value? And then how are we continuing to build trust in the market? Originally through third-party validation and over time through brand, through consistency of delivery. And these are the basics that the book's about. Well, these sounds like very sound principles. And I'm looking at the marketplace and it seems almost like the reason these snake oil salespeople can take advantage of these brands and sell them something that even though they don't even know what they're doing can still be successful at it is there seems to be this lack of patience for success. It seems like everyone's trying to get that result really, really fast. And someone who makes a bold promise can go in and take that money. Can you talk about the value of patience for someone who wants to successfully build their brand, do more marketing? I think it's a balance because I think the lack of patience from a founder is also important because like I remember, I think it was like four years into business. I almost sudden, it was the first time everyone started talking about next quarter. We we're going to do things next quarter. And culturally, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we need to do it next week. What do you mean next quarter? Oh, yeah, we're going to handle that in Q1, blah, blah, blah. Finally, I came to my exec team. I'm like, just pretend we're out of business in Q1. Stop fucking talking about Q1. Like, we don't have that kind of time. We got to get into things now. So it started being an excuse not to execute, which was a problem. But I'll also say you need to know your purchase cycle. Because like, if your purchase cycle is 30 days and you're measuring your marketing on a weekly basis, you're just doing it wrong. I can't make someone buy a car faster, as an example. Like we've had, you know, selling diamonds. Diamonds can take months to sell. Just because you want to measure your marketing on a weekly basis doesn't mean people are buying your diamonds faster. So you're just going to think everything's shit. Like it's that simple. Well, I like that. At least you have to have that pressure cooker. You have to have that hustle. You have to go yeah, and you need push. Both. Yeah. Honestly, I think you need irrational urgency with rational patience. That's the part. So like you need to be like constantly hectic and pushing. Like I just have seen in startups and even, I mean, again, we're almost nine years in. If I don't have that urgency, I see everybody kind of wax down. Like I got sick for a month and I had to be in Europe for a month working on our expansion there. And in those two months, our sales team slowed down. And it's like, all right. So like if I'm not there pushing and saying like, you got to fucking go, they take their foot off the gas. So like you need to have more urgency because as a founder, you're always going to, not always, but a lot of times going to have to push that urgency. At the same time, being irrational about the patient side doesn't make any sense. Meaning like, again, if like our sales cycle for a client at Hawk is four to six weeks, give or take. So for me to like, okay, so we marketed all this stuff. Have we closed any deals this week off the event you did yesterday? What? <laughs> we still have to talk to them. Like we sent them a proposal, but it's going to take us a few days to close. They have to review it with their team. Like, what are you talking about? Like when you have those kind of steps and a bigger purchase, you can understand that. 
Same thing applies to consumer purchase. People don't just click a Facebook ad and buy things regularly. In fact, that's gotten less common for both a recession and all the inflation problems we're dealing with, as well as people have been burned by all these Chinese dropshippers that send crap. So people are thinking about their purchases that are used to online buying. I was going to ask about when you're actually going out there and scaling your business, you talk about identifying this purchase cycle. It seems to be a word you're using a lot, and it's something that seems to be very much required for people to be aware of. If this is one of the first time you're thinking about this and you've never actually measured it before, what are some of the steps you should be looking at to get that metric and how important is it? Great question. So it's the biggest thing I see people miss. I think it's critical. I think it's like not knowing what you spend on marketing. It's like, you should know how long it takes a customer to convert because you need to use that number to measure your marketing efficacy. If you're not incorporating that purchase cycle, how are you measuring your marketing efficacy? You're just looking at how much did I spend today and how much did I make today? Well, that's not accurate. Even if I look at how much did I spend this year and how much did I make this year? Well, if I have a three month purchase cycle, that number is 25% wrong. You really need to know that number because that three months moves over. Everything shifts on the revenue side. So to measure it, there's no perfect way because honestly, part of the problem is all these cookie problems and iOS changing what you can do on Facebook, et cetera. Easiest way to do it was with first-party data. So what we normally do is let's start with when you collect their information to when they buy. So like, when did you get an email address to when they bought? Because a lot of people are willing to give an email address pretty quickly. So then at least you start with, okay, we know this is an underreported purchase cycle. So if let's say that's two weeks, we know it's at a minimum two weeks. And then we also try to start looking at, well, there is some quick, you can use Glue as a tool in e-commerce. There's some other tools you can use in your own CRM. You can look at like when was the first contact made, maybe when they're first clicked to the site, different ways to measure this. But the whole idea is you try to look at when was the first engagement to when did they buy on average and get an idea for what that is. And it stays pretty consistent. I like this model that you're speaking about. That's all about, you know, leading up to building that trust and being someone that teaches a lot of sales. A lot of my clients are wondering, like, how do I actually close better? How do I use scripts to make sure that they buy? And I look at every single person that's ever been a client of mine. The conversations have been happening for months and months ahead from them watching a podcast from, you know, this specific one, or they've come on my email list, or they've went and studied a challenge I've put together. And so this whole patience thing is, again, something I like to stress is that there's a cycle for people to get familiar to build that trust before they make that purchase. Are there some of the activities in marketing, and I know you've mentioned a few different channels that you find are the most effective for people to nurture their leads to get them ready to buy that you think are most effective today? So it's a combination of third-party validation and your own content is how I see the best way to do it. So the reason for that is third-party is great because if you basically borrow trust, and I always like to point, I think I did it in a book, How I Met Your Mother had this sort of act as a part of the show that like, I wasn't like a diehard fan of the show, but I always, and it was a good show, but I thought that this one thing was so indicative of human nature. And I it was- I think I know which one you're going to be talking about. Have I met, have you met Ted? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So what it is, just for anyone that hasn't seen it, Barney Stinson, the main Playboy guy played by Neil Patrick Harris, and the main character, Ted, would go to the bar. And Barney, again, is sort of a Playboy, and he'd try to get Ted to meet girls. So he'd walk up to random girls that he didn't know and be like, hey, have you met my friend Ted? And they wouldn't even know who Barney was, but they'd be like, uh, no, hi, Ted. And they'd start talking. That works, meaning not just for dating, but for anything like I get emails all the time where someone goes, hey, I've been wanting to connect you guys. You guys should chat. I don't know the person connecting me. 
I look in my email and I've never heard of them before, but now I feel like, okay, maybe I should chat. Like you're almost trust is interesting. Cause like it is borrowed from in third party validation. Again, it's like, if you can get like a masthead, like a Forbes or something, it helps. But at the same time, it could just be a random person making an intro. And that's enough to be like, okay, someone else thinks you're normal. So let's see how this goes. With that being said, when you're building trust, it's again, it's about stacking all the different ways people are being convinced. People want to see reviews. They want to see testimonials. They want to see PR. They might want to be referred. Word of mouth is a really powerful one. But then during that period, also what you can control, your own content you're putting out. So I like using SMS and email and just staying in touch and sending other value, but then creating content. And when I say create content, this is a hard part of marketing because it's not measurable, but content is one of the most compelling ways to market your company or yourself. It's hard to measure, really hard to measure. But if you can create content that fulfills your value proposition, it allows people to engage with you around the value proposition, but above and beyond a purchase decision. What I mean by that is, let's say you're selling running shoes. If you're putting out the top 10 places to go running in your neighborhood, the top ways to improve your speed, let's be real. People are buying running shoes, not just to go running, but to be healthy. So the top 10 diet tips to get your running body in shape, and you're putting out all these things that are around running, and I'm thinking about buying your running shoes, you keep sending me value. Over time, not only am I going to engage with you above and beyond a purchase decision, so I will probably have a higher chance of buying, you're also showing me what you're about as a brand, which helps build my trust, assuming it's good. And people are way more likely to share content than they are a product. So people will probably share that content and you'll get more word of mouth. So it's really, really powerful, but you have to make sure you do it right. And again, it's really hard to measure the direct response, which people have become addicted to the past 10 years is frankly looking at wrong numbers about how their ads are performing. Yeah, this whole content space, it's interesting because while I was at Mind Valley, we would look at, you know, what is a cycle for purchase cycle? It was around 30 days. And it was for someone that comes in, wants to watch like a training online. And then we'd look at things like the podcast. We'd look at things as the blog. And it didn't have a direct correlation or measurable result to leading people from, you know, opting in to making the sale. But we noticed that as we continuously did it, the email list seems to open a little more. There seems to be more engagement. Things seems to be growing. People seem to be sharing. It's almost like... You have to trust it. But then the question is like, how much attention should you put on that versus the activities that are more direct response and very sales driven? And I think it's exactly, it's a balance. And I think that is the thing that is lost in marketing that I think is what you asked, what makes a good marketer, the nuance, like it's not all measurable. It really isn't. There is an art and a science. And I think a lot of the science can help inform, but you also have to understand the nuance of the science. When you're looking at these metrics, Facebook right now only reports on a seven-day window. Everybody uneducated, which is, again, the majority, think Facebook is performing worse. I'm like, yeah, so iOS changes their tracking for Facebook ads, and you think that changed consumer behavior on Facebook? No, that's not what happened. Is targeting a little worse, so it did affect the returns? Yeah, it affected a little bit. But for most people, it didn't affect the returns at all. Most people. It just affected your ability to track those returns. And yet people are shutting down their Facebook ads left and right because they don't understand that nuance. Yeah, I think that's the art because there's the science of marketing. There's an art to marketing too. And I think that's what you're highlighting here, which I really appreciate. It seems to me like the type of companies, like would I be accurate to state that most of the companies that you typically would work with are making at least half a million a year or more? Yeah, I'd say that's probably fair. Up to billions, but yeah, it probably starts around there. I mean, we have pre-revenue startups, but yeah. Well, those would be, you know, with venture back, right? So they have money that they're ready to spend. 
the easiest way to put it, our fees start at about two grand a month and the budgets start around 10 grand a month. That's kind of the starting point. So then, you know, I kind of want to just throw one question in there to just help anybody who might be listening to this and being like, oh my God, this all sounds amazing, but I'm just getting started. And I'm not too sure if this applies to me. Would there be anything you could throw as great information or great guidance for someone who's getting started in marketing? So it all applies to every company. Like you need to be teeing this up and building it from the beginning. Don't hire anyone till you can spend 10 grand a month on marketing because you're not going to get a lever on their time. So my belief and it could totally be debated is as a founder, you better be able to generate enough to spend 10 grand a month on marketing or sales before you start hiring marketing or sales. Like you have to be able to be the breadwinner as the founder. That's part of it. I was 85% of our sales when we were doing seven and a half million a year. So like, and that was me just going out and about selling different business. But like, my point is you need to get ingrained enough in your own business to be able to generate 500 grand in revenue or 200 grand in revenue, something to know that like, you've got something before you just, you know, think someone else is going to be your savior. Hmm. Well, this is a big wake up call for a lot of the listeners who might have sales and marketing reluctance is understanding that this is the key skill. This is the first pillar. This is what gets you to that million dollars. And by the way, doing it gets you over the reluctance part of it, you know, this, but like, just go do it. The reason I got good at sales were two things I wanted to learn. So in college, I worked for Cutco. I went door to door selling knives because I was like, I want to learn sales. That was awesome, by the way. That program I recommend for any college student to go do. And then after that, I went into commercial real estate a week before Lehman Brothers collapsed in 2008. And I cold called up to 200 people a day trying to get them to let me sell their building. And you just hear, fuck you, go fuck yourself, blah, 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 over and over and over again. And you get to the point that you realize, like, you hear the same few objections, you get used to it, you get a little bit of tough skin around it, and you stop taking it personally. And then it's just, it's kind of fun. And like finding a way to turn your kind of psychology around it and like have fun with it. I think one of my closest friends was a guy I met on that call floor in 2008. And he's still like, he's very successful now. And he tries to find new projects that allows him to go cold call a bunch of people because he got almost addicted to that. Like, let's just pick up the phone and dial for dollars. Let's go. And once you get to that level of ability to sell, then whatever you're doing. And again, I think people also have a, used car salesman view of how sales works. I don't sell anyone. I tell them what I do and why it's valuable. I explain to them why I think they would want it. And then I let them make their own decision. That's it. I'm not here like, so what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I'm just like, yeah, so here's what we do. Here's how our business works. Here's what I think about your business. I'm going to dive in and look at how we can help you. Here's how we can help you. Here's how much it costs. You said these were your budgets. So I think this fits. Seems like we can probably assist you. What do you want to do? Okay, let's get started. Like, if you take your own pressure, like you don't try to be pushy, nobody wants to be pushed into a cell. So you shouldn't be doing that anyways. I love that there's so many of the guests I brought on this show that have at least overcome this sales reluctance and have this history with Cutco. So my family has a bunch of those knives. They still have people coming to sharpen them regularly. They're amazing tools. And similarly, I worked in real estate doing telephone calls to book appointments for realtors. That was the biggest thing that helped me get over the fear, the reluctance. And I think a lot of us just need to kind of, you know, pull up our pants, tie up our shoes and just go and make those encounters with humans. You know, okay, the resistance is there, the reluctance is there, but we kind of have to overcome it by doing it. I was gonna say, I had it. It's not like I didn't have it. Well, you know, after the Cutco, I then helped start a storm drain filtering company where we we're trying to convince property owners all over California California had passed a law that they, people had to legally filter their storm drain, or it could be a 75 grand per drain fine. And a drain on a normal parking lot in California is every 12 feet. So like a lot of storm drains. 
we were there to service them. The problem is they weren't enforcing this law. So like we got called con artists. I got chased out of buildings. Like, but once you do it a little bit and you realize I'm still alive, this really didn't matter. That's part of it. It's the same thing with a lot of things in life. Like you just have to like get over that inhibition, realize you came out the other side a few times and then you go, this isn't a big deal. And then we get to focus on our impact again. Eric, there's one question I love to ask every guest that comes on the show. And as you know, you're on the Selling with Love podcast. So I wanted to ask you, what would selling with love mean to you? I think you've got it when you're selling, you've got to love what you do or be passionate about what you're selling. That to me, and also care about the benefit to the other person. I think that's the two things. Like, I think my services, I think our company does an incredible job and I see objective things other than my biases. We have enough objective case studies, et cetera, to show we've been really good at what we do. On top of that, when I sell to companies, I've told many companies, you don't need our help or you're not ready for us. And our salespeople do too, because when we sell to them, we want to make sure we're actually able to help them. There's a passion for what we do. And like the real driver for what I do is I want to help entrepreneurs. I want to help people that are building these companies. And so again, selling with love, I think you have to love what you're selling. And I think you also have to care for the people you're selling it to. And if you love what you're selling, then it's not a sell. Like again, then it's just I love this and I forgot where the line came from, but like it's a sale is a transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another. It's not my own quote, but I agree. If you're enthusiastic about what you're doing and you love what you're doing, then you just get to explain that to someone and that you can make a sale. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all these insights. This has been amazing. I'm hoping for everybody listening, you're realizing that there's a lot of key things that you need to pay attention to in marketing and realize there's so many people out there either running agencies or telling you what to do in marketing, but actually have no clue about what they're doing. And when you start seeing that there are companies out there that are doing the right things, showing you how to nurture, how to build that trust, this is exactly where you want to focus some of your attention. We know that if you're out there and you're measuring how much time does it take for somebody to actually purchase from the first point of contact, and you know what is the time before they make that sale on average, it becomes one of the most important metrics you can track so that you can go out there and realize, well, if I spend a dollar today, it might not come back until X number of days. So I need to make sure that I'm measuring in a way that it makes sense. We are often impatient for getting the results. And it's great as a founder to be pushing for things to move faster. But we also want to make sure as Eric has mentioned, that you are respecting the timeline that your customers will take to make that purchase happen. So make your metrics adjust to this, look at the great ways that you can build that trust in the process, whether it's from building your own content, which we think is a great activity, although a little tricky to measure as Eric mentioned, but so important in the process and getting third-party validation, reviews, other sites, the Forbes, all those things that get other people to say, yes, what you're doing is valid. And if you're just getting started, remember, focusing on the sales, focusing on the marketing is going to be some of the things you need to learn as the founder. You can't outsource your own enthusiasm and the impact you want to make for people. So you need to get started there and not even think about hiring people in marketing that are doing it in an agency format or outsource format until you're ready to spend 10,000 a month. Interesting rule of thumb, something I'm going to investigate myself and something I would tell you to think about as well. If you like this, you would like to learn more principles of marketing that has helped over 3000 brands soar, go and check out a copy of The Hawk Method. We're gonna have a link in the show notes to this book and so many more of the resources that is available with Hawk Media. Eric Uberman, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling With Love podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.